This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing. Today I'm joined by James Loomstein, Managing Partner at Rogue Marketing. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much for uh, having me on your show. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, and you're, um, you're talking from all the way from, is it, is it Dallas, Texas? Yes, we are, we are here in Dallas, Texas. Um, and it is great, great to be here with you today. Fantastic. And we're in grey, rainy old Brighton in the UK. Um, before we crack into the meat and potatoes, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am the managing partner of Rogue. I've been in the advertising and marketing world for the past 15 years. Also a adjunct professor at Southern Methodist, Southern Methodist University here in Dallas, Texas. And I teach a uh, MBA course called Social Media Entrepreneurship, uh, which is about helping startups and venture capital backed uh, startup companies and those looking to start companies coming out of grad school, how they find and navigate their ways through the digital digital waters to help grow and amplify their businesses. Specifically at Rogue, though, we are a digital strategy agency. Yeah, uh, We work predominantly with high growth companies looking to either bring their product to market, expand on their digital footprint, or amplify their current brand. Outside of that, since our core is actually, you know, as a digital strategy agency, we also serve the role as management consultants from the marketing perspectives and help assist and aid at the CMO level. So we assist as, as uh, advisors, and whether that's with brand direction, uh, we help these companies and brands and help CMOs minimize risk. So mm-hmm. we're making sure that they're spending their marketing dollars in the most effective and efficient ways possible. And then we also help them with go-to-market, positioning strategies, uh, et cetera. It sounds good. Now, I particularly wanted to talk today about the sales funnel. The sales funnel has always fascinated me. Let's let's just refresh all of our listeners' memories. How does the sort of sales funnel fit into the overall marketing picture? So traditionally, you know, you would see companies start with this upside down pyramid where at the very top you would see awareness and then people would move through consideration and then purchase and then loyalty. But I think things have become a little bit more linear. And you would see things move, what we call from awareness to, to advocacy. And truthfully, it's a, it's a harder puzzle now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So I believe that if you sit in the, in the CMO suite today, your world and your job are a lot harder. And it, it's a lot more difficult. So if you sat in that seat 20, 30, 40 years ago, someone gave you a budget and you basically had to go and allocate that budget across radio, print, TV, direct mail, and that was it. And now there's this, you know, this paradox of choice that things they have to make. So you not only have to do all of the traditional things that were there, but you have all these web and circles of influence that are there. And then, and then inside of web, there's a thousand other choices that have to be that have to be made. But also within that, I think there's also an opportunity that comes with there. And so most companies and brands, they focus on the top of the funnel. So yeah. that awareness phase. And then they also focus at the bottom of the funnel, the conversion phase. Yeah. Where I think that the biggest opportunity exists today, 
especially with mid-market companies and, and mid-market brands, is in that consideration phase. So as people are out searching in that awareness phase, I need X or product or Y service, as they move from the I want I need something to I need to buy something, how are you going to be there to satisfy that need in that consideration phase? And then how do you get people on that path to purchase from awareness to purchase to consideration to uh, loyalty and then ultimately to advocacy? But that consideration phase is, I think, the uh, is the next battleground of marketing. Yeah, it's almost like you're talking. It's almost like uh, I'm trying to visualize it. Actually, it's almost like the the tunnel has sort of got a bit taller and thinner and a bit more complex in the middle. Absolutely. Um, would you say that, I mean, you, you mentioned like sort of 10, 20, 30 years ago, would, would you say that much more recently, in like the last decade or so, that uh, social media has made, made partially responsible for that happening? I think it is. And I think it's because we live in the, you know, what has been dubbed the connected economy, mm. where people have become more reliant on others, whether through their personal relationships or through secondary relationships to help them make buying decisions mm. or that have impacted their decision of choice on making selections and processes, whether that's, hey, I'm gonna go on a trip to this place, or I'm gonna buy this particular brand of shoe, or I'm gonna buy this life insurance policy, or I'm gonna buy this house, that people don't make decisions for themselves, that they need other people to help them make that decision. Mm. Whether those people are helping them 2% of that decision-making process, or 10 or 20 or 50 or 100% of that decision-making process, people are not making decisions 100% on their own. So if you lived back in the 1800s or even 1900s, you know, and you lived in a village and someone says, I have X product to sell, you just went and bought that product. That is not the case anymore. Mm. Someone says, I have X product to, t- to sell, there is a whole other level of consideration on your behalf that's happening before you're deciding to make that purchase. So do you think then that a lot of marketing professionals these days are sort of ignoring that sort of more complex central part of the funnel? Sort of, If so, why do you think that? I think they're ignoring it, A, because I think it's hard. Mm. And then B, I think, I think if you're a big company, like, I mean, Fortune 100 company, I don't know if it's as necessary, right? I mean, if you're Procter and Gamble or Coca-Cola or Ford or, you know, Disney, you're probably going to be okay. But if you're a mid-sized company and, you know, this is where this is your battleground and this is your opportunity to win. This is where I think you need to start focusing your effort. And this is where I think you can start separating yourself and you can start connecting with with consumers in that moment of consideration to maybe make yourself stand out a little bit more Mm. and be able to get in front of those consumers. So, you know, Google calls these moments, you know, micro moments of opportunity or zero moments of truth. So what they call those zero moments of truth, uh, they basically separate them into a couple areas. I separate them up into two. What consumers go through and call, I want to know moments Mm. and I want to buy moments. So, they have I want to know moments, I want to go moments, I want to do moments, I want to buy moments. What I think are the most important moments are the I want to know moments and the I want to buy moments. Yeah. If you as a company can sit back and find your opportunities to play and find where you succeed 
and where your opportunities are and at least look at it from that critical moment instead of, hey, we're going to run out, go out and run a bunch of Facebook ads or, hey, we're going to go out and spend a bunch of money on display or we're going to go be in this TV print publication. Just by looking at it from that strategic standpoint, I think just puts you a leg up and at least starts making your spending your dollars in the most efficient and effective way possible. And so if you were to look at consumer behavior, uh, I think I could you know, make draw a conclusion from this point. The way consumers act today is, is much different than before. So how consumers make decisions and how they are almost paralyzed by choice has become amazing. So Google has gone out and completed research hmm. um, uh, on their own and looked at what happens to consumers when, when they make choices. So it turns out that 91% of consumers turn to their phones in the middle of a task. It also turns out that 65% of consumers look at the most relevant information regardless of the company providing the information. Mm. And it turns out that a third have purchased from a company or brand other than the one that they intended to. So what that means is that when consumers go out and they say, I want to buy a shoe or I want to buy a pen or a fan or a phone or a stapler mm. or whatever it is, and they're in the store or they enter their web search that they don't actually have a brand in mind. Or if they are in that store, there is that moment in time, nine out of 10 times, where they pull out their phone and they do a comparison search. And so that is called consideration. And so if you can be there to answer those questions, then that is also an opportunity to win. But where most companies are competing is everyone's trying to compete at that top of the funnel of awareness or everyone's trying to compete at that bottom of the funnel of purchase. Yeah. So for that 91% of the people who are turning their phones in the middle of the task or for more specifically the 61% that are or 65% that are looking for the most relevant information regardless of the company providing that information, for that 6 out of 10 people – that is your opportunity that, that you can go out and win. That's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, especially interesting that the people, 91% of people turn to their phones in the middle of a task. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's just for distraction more than anything. <laughs> no. And so for so the takeaway, so if I'm the brand or I'm a marketing manager or if I'm in operations or I'm product development or I'm CMO or CEO of one of these companies, my takeaway today is, is this, is that I want to go and A, I want to realize, hey, what is our what is our go-to-market positioning strategy at the top of the funnel of awareness? Mm. And what are we doing at the bottom of the funnel of purchase, number one? Then what are we doing and where are we playing in that consideration phase? Then I want to separate out what are we doing and how are we satisfying customer request at the I want to know, I want to go do and buy moments. And then I want to go out and do some research on my own and consider the most searched topics for our branding category. What is the share of consumer intent? So what's our gap analysis? So people go out and do those searches for the consideration phase. What information is out there? What information from us is out there? And then where's that gap in opportunity? And then realize hey, am I only at the top and the bottom? And then do I have anything in the middle? Yeah. And then find out 
you know, asking our brand, what's our share of voice, our search results, focusing on the opportunity, specific parts of the sales funnel, and then analyzing within, hey, what's the total universe out that's out there, breaking that down into the available universe, and then finding out what realistically I have in terms of prospects and leads that I can ultimately turn into conversion. So it's fascinating, isn't it? Especially when you think of uh, sort of mobile and the fact that people are sort of connected all the time now, how that sales funnel has become much more structured, if you like, and how, how important is it for sort of brands to sort of be each part of that funnel and doing the best they can in each part of that funnel. You mentioned, and I know you've alluded to this already, but you mentioned this notion of awareness to advocacy, uh, James. I just wonder if you could elaborate on what you mean by that. I think that what a lot of companies and brands do, you know, we're a digital marketing agency and we work with a wide variety of companies and brands and sit in a wide variety of seats and see a lot of things from a lot of different perspectives. And mostly I see companies say, this is our budget, whether that budget is 10 grand or 50 grand or 500,000 or even a million dollars or $3 million plus or $5 million plus total marketing budget. And then they just start slicing it out because in, in the old days it was, hey, I have 40% of my budget and I can just put it towards radio and that was just all I did. Hmm. Or 30% of my budget goes towards direct mail and that was just, that was just the easy thing to do. Well, now it's, it's, more, it's a little bit more sophisticated. And now it's, hey, this is my digital budget and then I need to allocate that money out to this part needs to go to the awareness funnel and this part needs to go to the consideration funnel and this part needs to go to purchase this needs to go towards loyalty mm. this part needs to go towards advocacy so as an example it would it would work out something to the effect of hey for this particular product that we're launching we're going to develop a strategy that selects x channel so Facebook is going to be used to drive awareness. Yeah. And Y channel, Google, is going to be used for product purchase because that's direct response. And then we're going to use YouTube for the consideration phase. And we're going to use PR for our advocacy. And we're going to use email and MailChimp to drive loyalty. And so all of these different platforms – and all of these different channels are going to be used for each part of the customer journey. And it's not that we are going to use Facebook, but we're only going to use it for a part of the customer journey. Yes. Not for everything in the customer journey. Because all of these platforms work, but they only work for specific parts of the customer journey. And so it's about it's about changing the mindset of how we go to market or what the what the methodology is for marketing campaigns. So what used to be the standard methodology was basically based on very transactional. So we would select a platform and then we would execute a campaign hmm. and then everything would be based on bottom of the funnel conversion optimization. And then everyone would go back and improve keywords or look at the website or change a red button to a blue button mm. or, you know, look at a, look at a square and turn it into a triangle or whatever, whatever that was. But if we moved to something that was more of a audience and an amplification model and made it more journey path based, mm. 
and looked at it that way and started looking at, hey, what are the keywords and platforms based on the customer lifecycle stage? And then we started breaking down audience segments tied to conversion metrics and looked at connecting principles of influence and how people are making decisions and where, and then assigning archetypes to the type of people we're trying to reach and where they are on the buying cycle. And then we went into selecting the, the platform and then executing the campaign and then concentrating on the funnel conversion. I think we actually end up moving our brands further faster mm. and connect the right types of customers. We can end up minimizing risk, not wasteful spend, and and making sure that we get the right marketing message in front of the right people. Yeah. Are you willing to share a couple of examples, James? Yes. So two things. I think that the overarching the overarching theme of the theme is that giving people what they want isn't nearly as powerful as teaching people what they need. Mm. That's number one. It needs to be about strategies, not tactics. It's not high hammer, I'm a nail. And I think that the the biggest thing is that you cannot have multiple goals tied to every single campaign. Campaigns cannot be, hey, we're going to drive awareness and we're going to get a bunch of conversions. Or, hey, we're going to get a bunch of people signing for our email and we're going to drive a bunch of fans. Every campaign you run has to have a one-to-one relationship. So we're going to use Facebook to accomplish X and we're going to use Twitter to accomplish Y. So you cannot walk into a campaign and have that campaign accomplish multiple goals. That's number one. Mm -hmm. So real world examples uh, of clients that we've worked with, one that we've done recently was a real estate company. Uh, They've worked with a a micro market uh, within the Hispanic community. Mm -hmm. This is about finding a market within a market. So they use Facebook to, to drive leads. So Hispanic community, heavy mobile users, Mm. apartment renters, household income, 50,000 plus. As we got in there and started looking at who is the best user, and we looked at demographics, psychographics, behavioral users, et cetera, turns out that our best prospects ended up being more Spanish dominant, more uh, in tune with using one brand over another. So, you know, Ford over Chevy. Mm. more family, um, and then they also had more audience behavior for, for specific traits. As we did that, we ended up getting higher quality leads and our conversions became better. The other interesting thing that happened is we started looking inside of our Google Analytics and we started seeing that, hey, people who had their browser setting to English um, versus people who had their browser setting to Spanish, mm. when we first started our campaign, People who had their browser set to English who were coming to our site, that was about 70% of the traffic and Spanish was about 30. As we started doing better targeting and looking at behavior and looking at some of these demographics and psychographics that we could actually manipulate inside of Facebook to make sure we're getting the most relevant audience possible, those numbers started to flip. And people who had Spanish as their browser setting started to go up to 40, 50, 60 70% of our traffic coming in, Mm -hmm. and the English started going down to 70, 60, 50, 40% of our traffic. Wow. So I'm just interested in that, you know, when you're executing these campaigns, what are the tools that you use, or is it more sort of people oriented? Um, I think it's both. So we rely heavily on, you know, I think we live in a world where talent wins. You know, we live in the knowledge based economy, 
And at our core, we are a digital strategy agency. So you know, we're about finding smart and, and talented people, and we work towards outcomes. So you know, as I said before, we're not a hammer looking for a nail. So we are not a paid media agency. You know, we do paid media, but we're not like Facebook is going to solve all of our problems or display is going to solve all of our problems. Or if we write a bunch uh, enough content, content is going to solve all of our problems. Or if we do enough SEO, SEO is going to solve all of our problems. So we are about the outcomes. But to that point, we also believe in two fundamental principles is that the smartest team wins. And then I also fundamentally believe, believe that the agency with the best partners wins. Mm. So we work hard to have deep tactical knowledge at the platform, at the platform level within the rogue team. And then second, that partnering with companies because they have deep expertise within these areas, because this is a very complicated world that we live in, whether that expertise from partners comes from tools or software or media that help us and help our clients push further faster. So with respect to tools, we also start small, we create little bets, we learn, we optimize and we scale, but we rely heavily on primary data from our clients um, to help us select platforms. And it doesn't matter if that's, you know, a brand or, you know, a commercial real estate company or a residential real estate company mm. um, to help us make those help us make those decisions. I think that if companies have an email database of 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000, it doesn't matter. They can take that information they have from those people and help them make marketing campaigns. So let me explain how that works. So you could take a subset of your email marketing list and you could create a survey and you could send that survey out through SurveyMonkey or CrowdVibe or even a Google survey. Mm. And you could ask those people questions like, hey, what search queries would you do to find our service? What are your favorite social media websites or uh, social media channels? What websites do you spend most of your time on? And then questions like three, four, five, and six. Ask those questions to 20 random people who are already part of your core audience. And then when that information comes back, who um, start comparing and looking for commonalities. And what you might find is, hey, here are new keywords that we weren't going after. Or, hey, here are four or five websites that all of our customers seem to go on that we didn't actually know existed. And then you have the opportunity to go to that website, go to the bottom, see if there's advertising opportunities. And that's either an advertising opportunity to guest post, a sponsorship opportunity, or the opportunity to have a paid listing on that ad. But the point is, is you have the opportunity to sit here with a small core audience and then be able to replicate that audience multiple times over. So while your first survey was only 20 people or 50 people or 100 or 500, mm -hmm. do that three or four months later, and then you're doubling and, and tripling that list out. And all of a sudden, you're just like, hey, I found this audience. Let's go out and find more people like these people. Well, James, it's been an absolute revelation. Thanks so much for joining us. How can our listeners find out more about you and more about Rogue Marketing? Sure. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Jay Loomstein. Uh, you can follow Rogue uh, on Twitter at Rogue Think and also learn more about Rogue at 
gorogue.net and also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gorogue. Fantastic. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, the show notes, as usual, are at sitevisibility.com IM podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, please write some reviews because it helps us to grow the audience, providing they're reasonable ones. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, I'm Dr. Pod, D O C T O R P O D, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, we're looking to answer some questions from the audience in future episodes. So please send uh, questions and comments. There's two ways you can do that. The email is podcast at sitevisibility.com. And um, the telephone, magic telephone line, plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero, And you can leave a message there. So it's goodbye from me, Andy. And it's goodbye from James. Thank you very much. It's been utterly fantastic. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. How are they going to get paid? Feeling emoji shrug about your money situation, but no, you need to get it together? Get Money is a personal finance podcast for anyone who is done with confusing and boring AF financial advice. Does that mean friends just text you questions about money all the time? Just Constantly. for some free advice? All day, every day. What's the most common question you get asked? Does this look infected? Let Get Money Podcast help you get your finances together. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.